All right, News Roundup Information Overload Hour. Apparently, some things happened on this call with the G7 and Biden yesterday as they were trying to convince him to stay beyond the August 31st deadline that he's adhering to because he's capitulated completely to the Taliban, um, which is remarkable in and of, its, in and of itself. Um, even the media mob it recognizes how awful this is going to be. Even NBC, Richard Engel, their reporter, called it a moment of American humiliation. Uh, you could also look at this as a tremendously humiliating humi- uh, moment of American humiliation, right. leaving, forced to leave on the Taliban's clock uh, and, and with the Taliban's good graces. So tactically, it makes sense. But I'm not sure how history will. I think history will judge this moment as a, as a very dark period for the United States. Uh, I think he actually is right. And on so many different levels. Now, one of the things to come out, we know that, that Joe Biden was on the phone. He was about four or five hours late yesterday for his press conference. It was beyond odd and ex- weird. And then comes out, starts talking about great economic success and $5 trillion in new spending and everything but Afghanistan. And when he finally got around to Afghanistan, he had, everything that had been reported earlier in the day turns out to be true. He's sticking to this August 31st deadline uh, because he's allowing himself to be bullied by the Taliban. The same guy that could have very easily in May, June, July, as the Taliban was on the march. If he didn't want to engage them, like Donald Trump would have obliterated them because they weren't allowed to take over large geographical portions of Afghanistan as part of the Trump deal. Trump would have kept Bagram Air Force Base, for example. Uh, But anyway, as soon as they took 5% of the country, Trump would have bombed them into oblivion. But Joe didn't do that. Nobody seemed to notice the march, although we have every indication that the intel community knew damn well what was happening, which is why the CIA pulled out six, seven weeks ago. They got out. And every indication is is that everything that they knew they were passing on to the Biden White House and they were completely ignored. And now we're hearing we just heard from Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida that, in fact, everything that the, the real briefings behind the scene totally, completely contradict the lies being told by Jen Psaki and Joe Biden. You just, you just can't make this up. It's sad for the country. Anyway, Europe's leaders were trying desperately, apparently, yesterday, according to reports, to get the president, and this is France, Germany, Italy, UK, US, Canada, Japan, as well as the heads of NATO, even the UN and the EU, convened to discuss the situation. You know, in a joint statement, they said that the immediate priority is to ensure the safe evacuation of our citizens and those Afghans who have partnered with us and assisted our efforts over the past 20 years and ensured continued safe passage out of Afghanistan. Well, the Taliban has already put an end to that. They're not allowing any Afghans to make it to Karzai International Airport, the only the only way out of that country. Anyway, so they, they've tried to get Biden to extend the deadline and push the Taliban back on their heels. Joe refused. And every indication, according to everybody we're talking to, is a strong belief that Americans will be left behind, which is unfathomable to me. Anyway, uh, joining us now is David Loyan. He is a BBC journalist. He's got a book out, actually, on 
The war in Afghanistan called the Long War, the inside story of America and Afghanistan since 9-11. He's been covering the events there since 1996. And he's reporting on the Taliban when they took uh, Kabul for the first time. Uh, he can give us an insider's view of, of this terror organization, what happened yesterday. Uh, David, thank you for being with us. How are you? It's, it's really good to be on the show. Hi. You know, I, I do like a lot of the reporting that comes out of Great Britain. Uh, I wish they'd let Piers Morgan talk there. I mean, it's a little frustrating. <laughs> so, some of your laws tried, there are a little. To, he tried to do a job in the. He tried to do a job in the U.S. for a while, but he fell out with people. Yeah, no, I kicked his ass, and then he acknowledges that part. He went up against me, but um, I'm kidding. We've actually become very good friends. I like the Daily yeah. Mail. I love. I love a lot of the the media coverage there. It's you know, yeah. it's it's fascinating. But your media laws on some levels are better than what we have here on other levels are stifling you know the idea that uh harry's wife uh, uh megan markle can go out there and complain to the the british government to try and silence piers morgan is you know unfathomable to me uh she, <laughs> piers morgan ought to be able to say anything he wants and anything he feels and clearly people wanted to hear from him but let me ask you this what can you tell us about this g7 meeting yesterday and how I was told that our European partners were aghast that they couldn't convince Biden to extend the August 31st deadline. I think they were really surprised. And, uh, you know, all the briefings that were coming out before the meeting that were getting darker and darker and the sense that what the UK really wanted and, and our allies in Europe was to extend this and, and not leave, frankly, until the mission was completed. Uh, I mean, this goes back to the spring. And our um, chief of defense staff, uh, General Nick Carter, when the Biden plan was announced and when these deadlines were announced, Carter said publicly, this is not the decision I would have preferred. And the UK's defense secretary has been pushing very hard to extend the deadline ever since. And I think in a sense, Carter and our politicians have been speaking for your generals because there's been a, a lot of un, un, unease, I know, in the U.S. Uh, military community about uh, the decision to pull out in the way that they have. And, you know, I mean, I think this goes back to 2017, actually. And one of the things that I, I, I go into in quite a lot of detail in the book is the early years of, of President Trump's administration and President Obama's administration before him. And both of those presidents came in wanting to finish the war. And Trump was persuaded by General uh, uh, Jim Mattis, who was uh, then the U.S. Secretary of Defense, to, to do a really, really good speech. August 21st speech, 2017, I think was one of the best. I just, I, I played now. some of it earlier where he said he wanted to go, but, you know, that was the staging for 9-11. I, I played a lot of well, it earlier in the program. I won't play it well, now. You're well, absolutely really, correct, sir. I'm, then we're, we're singing off the same song sheet because I thought, at the time, I thought it was a really strong speech. Uh, the following year, I was I, I was working in, the, in Afghanistan advising the president's office, actually, on communications, and I saw the effect of that speech in terms of pushing the Taliban back on their heels because uh, General Mick Nicholson, who was then the, the commander of, of forces in Afghanistan, was given much more opportunity to go after the Taliban than he had been before. And that was, uh, yeah, that was Trump's decision to do that and Mattis's decision. So but That's how he beat the, the caliphate as well. I mean, the caliphate grew under Biden-Obama and Donald Trump defeated the caliphate by bombing the, bombing the living daylights out of them. I think there was then, you then go into the, the decision to, 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 to do the withdrawal deal effectively, which, which Trump did, which I didn't agree with in quite the same way. And I think the generals who, 
uh, were really in favor of that speech in 2017 and taking the gloves off and, and putting the Taliban back on their heels, wanted a political process in time, but they didn't necessarily want, you know, a, such a swift uh, withdrawal as happened. So I think there are question marks over over the Trump deal. But, you know, we, we are where we are, and, and that was what was imposed on, on the Afghan government. Well, I maybe think, I could share you know, some information with you because I'm, yeah, I yeah. happen to be privy to a lot of what happened behind the scenes. Um, I've now confirmed it with President Trump himself, with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Mark Meadows, and others, that before the the first phone conversation with President Trump and the leader of the Taliban went like this. Let me, uh, before we talk about any deal, let me explain something to you. So we're very, very clear up front and basically said that if they don't abide by every I dotted, every T crossed, every comma, and every period, that he reminded them what he did to the caliphate, and then he said, to the effect, that will be nothing compared to what I will do to you if you don't abide by any agreement we may make. Do you understand me? You fully understand. He literally, I, I want the transcript of that conversation released. I would like it to be made public after hearing it from people that were on that call. And from that point, the deal was, okay, America's withdrawal plan before the fighting season, as you know, there are seasons in Afghanistan, what was to begin, that they would have an orderly withdrawal. And, you know, I've been doing this time-lapsed map of Afghanistan and how much territory the Taliban had taken as of early May, mid-May, late May, early June, mid-June, late June, into July, and, and to where we are now. But the Trump plan would have obliterated them. It would have kept Bagram Air Force Base. Um, yeah, it because, was, by, because by May, effectively by May, you're saying they, they'd broken the deal. They'd broken the... the, the correct. And Trump would have... Trump, listen, yeah. I think they believe Trump. I think when Trump says, I will blow, obliterate you, I think they believed him. And and in and in your sense, then that Biden was was wanting to pull out more quickly. You may be right. I think Biden didn't uh, do any of the protections. I, with my right. time elapsed map that I'm showing, you know, yeah. the Taliban clearly the Afghan forces were collapsing as he's telling us they're some of the best trained in the world. And meanwhile, the yeah. the, the Taliban's basically walking and taking over the entire country. And when we had a chance and we had control of Kabul, we didn't get our people out. And I'll give a tip of the hat yeah. to your country. Because you sent your paratroopers and special forces behind enemy lines to rescue uh, U.K. citizens, our friends across the pond. The French did it. The Dutch did it. But the United States yeah, of America out, did not do it. It's embarrassing. We took out an, we took out an American journalist as well, a very prominent American journalist. Yes, you journalist. did. So I, yeah, so I think, that, I think from that point of view, you know, on the ground, there's certainly been you know, challenges and a much more robust and muscular view from, from the U.K. and from, from French forces. But Not I think it was always going to be President Biden's uh, desire to pull out, of, uh, pull out of Afghanistan. And one, I mean, one of the chapters, I mean, the, the 2009 year was the other key year. I think 2017 and the, the, the Trump uh, withdrawal was key, obviously. But 2009 was the year that sort of defined the Obama uh, uh, surge ultimately. And there were always going to, it was always on a timetable. And that was the other difference with 2017. It was, it was, it was conditions based. It wasn't on a timetable. Right. That Trump gave the opportunity for forces to do something, um, that they hadn't been able to do before. Because what happened in 2009 
And Biden was the strongest voice in the White House as vice president then to pull troops down to the bare minimum or pull them out. And I go into a lot of detail in the book, talk to a lot of people in the White House at the time about those conversations. And he was always the strongest voice because he was the senior player. He'd been a foreign, foreign policy expert, older than everybody else there. He always had the last word. And the last word was, let's pull troops right down to the minimum. We don't want them a crystal surge. And I think that had an impact on the Obama administration. So Obama was very keen to put the troops in, but he wanted them out as quickly as they went in. And you had good generals like David Petraeus, Stan McChrystal, pushing that timetable as much as they could because the Taliban knew that the troops were going in on timetable and coming out on timetable. And if the surge had been given a real chance, um, then I think there should have been an opportunity in 2020. One thing we're not factoring in here, though, you know, the advancement of modern military weaponry and warfare, and we learn this as Donald Trump you know, the way he defeated the caliphate, you know, we we now have modern uh, military technology that allows us to fight and win wars with pinpoint precision by pushing buttons in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. So do you so do you agree with General David Petraeus? He says we could be there forever. We could keep thirty five hundred troops, which is what we had. And that with the contractors and, and that thirty five hundred plus easily thousand or so twenty five hundred national international coalition ultimately it was it was about 3500 who were there but yeah. i mean yeah we, it, we can quibble that in in terms of the numbers of uniforms we can quibble over uh, over some <laughs> beer and tea okay well, that's what i understand that's what i understand to be the case but but there were around 10,000 international troops and you had the capacity right. of drone strikes and you right. had and you had afghan forces backed up by 15 17,000 contractors keeping their air force in the air and I think there was a sense, I mean, Petraeus in particular, and he's written about this a lot this year, wanted to keep those troops there for effectively for the medium term as an insurance policy against the 20 or so groups in Afghanistan and the Pakistan region um, who are seen as international terrorist groups. But you, listen, you know, so you, you have this book coming out. Really it's going to be called The Long War, yeah. The Inside Story of America and Afghanistan Since 9-11. Um, your knowledge is is quite impressive. To be very honest, David, I'm impressed, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful. I, wish, I, I just I just wish the last chapter had had left a stable democratic government in place and not a defeat. But I mean, you know, that we are where we it are. Didn't have to be this off. way. It did not have to be like this. That I can tell you. I that agree. that you know, and that I know. Anyway, thank Great you for being with us. All right, Good to all right, we'll get to your phone Great. calls coming up next. Eight hundred nine four one Sean. As we continue. All right, 25 to the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, all right, North Carolina, Daniel, we'll start with you. Glad you called. Welcome to the show. Thanks for checking in. Hey, thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. I've been hearing uh, Jen Psaki, Joe Biden, everybody involved in that screw-up up there in D.C. talking about, and they say it exactly this way, we're going to get the Americans out that want to come home. And that's that's fishy to me. Um, I think they're just setting themselves up to, uh, you know, cover their rear ends when they, uh, you know, fail. even. Well, I suspect that you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, there are going to be some circumstances where people have families there and children there and they're not going to want to come home. I believe that will be. But that is not going to be that will be the exception, not the rule. We know of Americans dying to get out that are being turned back at the airport. And we've just confirmed today that there are thousands of Americans trapped behind enemy lines this day. Thousands. 
Yeah, it's the worst thing I've ever seen militarily in my life. So, you and I both, my friend. I mean, I I I, I hate to say it. I mean, but it's like it's all we got. We have to pray for these people. Taliban now they've slow walked this entire operation because they know they've got leverage. This is why the military options allowing it to get to this point. We had control of Kabul and and all the areas surrounding it for months as the Taliban was on the march. Nobody nobody saw this coming. They waited for the Taliban to march all the way up, take Kabul, stay on vacation with no sense of urgency of what's going on here. And now we're begging the Taliban, a terrorist group, to let Americans get through to Hamid Karzai International Airport. And sometimes they're saying no. And our allies that risk their lives, that we promise we get them the hell out of there, this day ever came, they will be left behind and they will be summarily murdered. And we will learn about it. The world is watching. And Joe Biden caused it all. Sad. It was so easily preventable. This this is beyond and, and going along and being bullied into this artificial deadline. I'll give you the last word, sir. Yeah, our leadership is just totally incompetent. I am so ashamed of the Biden administration right now that I I, I just don't have words for it. Um, I was in the military myself, and and this is just this is outrageous. What's going on? It's it's gotten me so upset right now. And, it's not everybody. Anybody with a heart and soul that loves this country upset. It's embarrassing. The Brits, the French, the Dutch they they send in their troops behind enemy lines to rescue their citizens. Why didn't we? Mike Waltz confirmed today we have special ops on the ground. They're dying to go help Americans. This is what they train for. They're not being allowed to do it. Um, Sharon is in Indiana. Thank you, Daniel. Sharon, how are you? Yes, I'm fine, Sean. How are you? I want to thank you for taking my phone call. I know you're speaking about Afghanistan at the moment, but if I wonder if I could just bring up something that you said recently about mm-hmm. COVID, and I'd like to thank you for mentioning on your show that there are people out there like me who have rare diseases, who have immune system disorders, who have autoimmune diseases, who can not take the vaccine. And that it Well, I, I got to so give much. someone else credit. I mean, it was the story I interviewed a young woman yeah. um, whose dream was to go to BYU in Hawaii. This was not BYU's decision. I've got to be very fair here. But the state of Hawaii would not give her a medical exemption. And her doctor, and I advise everyone to talk to their doctor. I don't know anything about anybody's medical condition. Had uh, advised her because she had been paralyzed for over a month from a vaccine she received in 2019. I didn't ask what it was. Exactly. There are rare conditions, which is why one size fits all medicine um, scares me a lot and why I refuse to tell people what to do or not do, except please take it seriously and get to your doctor and make the the right decision for you. I appreciate your bringing that awareness out there and that I wish more people would put that awareness out there rather than just blindly saying, get vaccinated, get the vaccine to be say like you did, please talk to your doctor and take it seriously. What is the best 
thing for you to do based on your medical condition. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry you have that condition, by the way. I don't know what it is, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure that it sounds like something you're struggling with. And, I'll, and let me be very clear, too, Sharon. I believe in science. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I believe in the science of vaccines. I, I'm just I'm telling everybody, take it seriously. I know people that have died from this. I know people that nearly died from this on ventilators for 30, 40 days. Take it serious. I've seen the worst of this. I've been up to my eyeballs in it more ways privately than people have any idea. And I, but, but on the other hand, I, I can't be your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not qualified. So I'm telling people, take it seriously. I believe in science. I believe in vaccination science. But you have to take into account what you and your doctor decide here. It's not my decision for you. I think that there's people like me fighting for their life in the hospital every two weeks. And if this vaccine is forced on us, we don't know what could happen. It could possibly be fatal for us. And that's the point. We don't know what would happen. And um, just to think that, you know, maybe some of our freedoms would be taken away, such as possibly not being able to fly or going to an entertainment event because we don't have a vaccine card. And I just think there needs to be more awareness out there. Of well, I, I think the idea that the, of real life medical exemptions needs to be considered. I'm very concerned about issues as well. Medical privacy, doctor patient confidentiality. Uh, you know, th- those are issues that others don't seem to care about at all. I do care about them. Um, and I, I also don't know that I don't have the answer. Now, the breakthrough cases, the CDC has even acknowledged that the vaccine will not prevent people uh, in a lot of instances now from getting COVID-19. Now, the early indications are if you've been vaccinated, your case is far less severe. That's what so far it has. But what about behind the Delta variant is the Lambda variant? Well, what's behind the Lambda variant? We got another variant that is beginning to emerge and there'll probably be more. So, I mean, it gets very, very complicated on so many levels. I just urge people, there are people that, you know, there's a lot of research you can look, do on your own online, talk to the doctor, doctors in your life, talk to medical professionals you trust, and uh, and take this thing seriously, because I know people that have died, friends of mine, sad. Thank you for putting that awareness out there, and I wish that there was more awareness out there to let them know that we're not just an anti-vaxxer. We are people who are struggling with medical conditions, and we don't have that choice to say, do I want to get the vaccine or not, or or do I believe in it or not? We don't have a choice. We cannot get it. Well, and- I, 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 I trust your doctor gave you the right information. If you need a second opinion, I'd urge you to go get a second opinion. But I, you know, it's... um. I've never heard of some of these diseases, to be honest with you. There are these rare conditions. I don't know anything about them. It's out of my wheelhouse. But, Sharon, I want you to be healthy. I want you to take good care of yourself. Do what's best for you. Please listen. I urge everyone, please talk to your doctor. Listen to your doctor. That's my advice to everybody. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, Steven is in Missouri. Steven, you're on the Sean Hannity Show. Glad you called. Hey, Sean, thanks so much. Uh, you're firing all, all eight cylinders today, and your guests in regard to Afghanistan were fantastic. I like that we're recognizing our members of Congress that have actually 
uh, had military experience uh, in Afghanistan. I think it's super important um, for the secretary, uh, the press secretary, to tell us that you know, or even the Department of. Uh, uh, when they tell us that they don't know how many people are in Afghanistan, anecdotally, I think that's kind of a misstep and a lie because uh, in my travels and my career uh, with my former wife, uh, we had connections in France with people that were distant relatives to a Middle Eastern country on a diplomatic level. And when we were leaving France one time, uh, they inquired with us the nature of our visit with that family, which I thought was very shocking that we even knew, you know, that they knew that we were there. So in, you know, 2021, 20, uh, when we have people, they just have to know. The numbers, they have to be, they have to be there. The government has to know how many people well, are there. Well, I, I know this for a fact, at least I've been told by security, that when I travel abroad, like, for example, when I went to Singapore, when we went to, and Linda, you can confirm this is true, <laughs> Daniel Hoffman scared the living hell out of all of us. Um, but when we traveled ab- abroad, and we've been in Vietnam and Singapore and Helsinki and other places. For example, enemy countries in the in Singapore, the case would be China more than Russia, but in, in Helsinki, it would be Russia more than China, that they're very aware that I'm in the country. And I've had my hotel rooms literally checked for bugs regularly. And I was given burner phones every day uh, and told, don't even turn your own phone on. Because in, in a second, they have your phone number. They will. They will hear every word you say. They will. They will download everything that's on your phone. Uh, Linda, anything that any part of that untrue? No, definitely not. I mean, I know we came back the one night and they were still in the room going through the stuff. Yeah, and they kind of found something. If I recall correctly, and it wasn't a cockroach. Uh, it's but, just terrible. You know, it, it. So the ability to know who's there, I believe, is fundamental. And if we got to this point with this deadline approaching and the Taliban on the march since, you know, May, you know, really on the march and they didn't lift a finger to stop them or push them back or buy more time and allow them to take Kabul as he's on vacation, Joe, uh, it's unforgivable to me. And they know. And I, you know, it was Tony Blinken supposed to give us this, you know, this this there's no deadline on evacuating americans now he's saying why is he saying that today because it's gone the reaction has been outrageous it has been collective outrage that they're going to and are willing to leave americans behind well the taliban gave you the hard deadline and joe seemed to be bullied into it and blinken just gives me zero confidence the guy that gets lectured on human rights by the by the communist chinese in anchorage alaska the same country that gave the world covid thank you but no thank you you know you got genocide going on within the country of china their territorial ambitions have never been more clear and this idiot sat there and got lectured on human rights and didn't push back in a fierce way mike pompeo would have ripped their heads off Think President Xi would try that crap with Donald Trump? No, he would not. I've been privy to a lot of information over time because I'm actually a member of the press and I have sources. We're kind of right on everything, you know, Russia hoax collusion. I know a lot of things about a lot of topics that nobody that I can't share with people. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Why? Because you get you learn things off the record as a member of the press, which I am. I'm a talk show host. 
Uh, Stephen, thank you. Uh, Daniel, Colorado. What's up, Daniel? Hey, thank you for taking the call, Sean. Uh, 25-year Navy veteran, disabled. Um, Jeez, thank all, you, sir. We don't negotiate with terrorists. You're welcome. We don't negotiate with terrorists. So when the president says, well, we need them to them, but you need them to cooperate, which is it? Okay, <laughs> don't vetting. You're vetting. Okay, those people are in imminent danger. They're being killed and will be killed, yet they're not getting at the southern border. So the 5,000 prisoners who just were let out will be coming through the southern border. And I hate to say that. I hate to say that. We know, and my thing is not how many Americans, okay, you can't keep track. Well, how many have you got out? 87,000. They're throwing all these figures at us. 80,000. Well, only 4,400. That's 5%. That's your priority? Okay, we have GPS. Get your phone. Get special forces out there and start getting them because you're going to do it now or you're going to do it later. They're going to put 20 people on TV. Well, I don't think they'll do it later. I, I think the window is closing. That's why the British did it. That's why the Dutch did it. That's why the French did it. Why didn't we do it? Why aren't we doing it? Listen, I was briefed on all of this before my show today. I, you know, I actually do work. I make phone calls. I talk to people that know. And there are thousands. That I wasn't told an exact number, but they are acknowledging there are thousands of Americans caught behind enemy lines. Today's the 25th. Okay, now we're down to almost five days left. Never seen anything so disgusting in my life. Thank you for your service, though, sir. Thank you. 25 years. I'm sorry you also sustained injuries. We'll continue. All right, sun's out. Shades are in. You want to get your home ready for summer with custom window treatments from our friends at Blinds.com. You'll get a high-end look, but you're not paying that high-end price with their most popular outdoor shades. It'll transform your backyard into a shady oasis with their light-filtering shades that help block UV rays without obstructing your view. And right now, no store beat the, beats their prices. You'll save an additional 35% off everything at blinds.com. Means that you can upgrade any room, indoors, outdoors, over 25 million blinds sold. Well, that makes blinds.com by far the number one online retailer of custom window treatments in the world. And again, nobody beats their prices. And whether you do it yourself or you let them handle the install, start to finish, blinds.com makes ordering custom window treatments online simple and easy. They offer free shipping, 100% guaranteed perfect fit, sunshine, barbecues in your forecast, upgrade your backyard with window treatments from our friends at blinds.com, and enjoy your view on all the nice days of summer and fall. Just go to blinds.com today, an additional 35% off everything, and you tell them your friend Sean Hannity sent you. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Uh, full coverage of now the what will be the five-day countdown plus uh, in Afghanistan of the Biden promise withdrawal to the Taliban. We have stories, people on the ground you won't get from the media mob. Uh, we'll talk to Tom Cotton, Mark Meadows, Ari Fleischer, Ollie North, Lara Logan, Congressman Michael Waltz, and Herschel Walker running in Georgia. This is going to be a great win for him. All happening tonight at 9. We'll see you then. Set your DVR back here tomorrow. Thank you for being with us.